You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Right now, though, let's get into a Bible study. Are you ready for that? And uh, we have the communion table set as well. And uh, prepare your hearts for that. The ushers will be in the aisles handing out Bibles. Just raise your hands. And these masked men will give you a Bible. And um, you want to find your way to Matthew chapter 13. We've begun a new sub-series in the book of Matthew titled Kingdom Parables. And uh, these kingdom parables, they're all about life in God's kingdom. And we're not talking about heaven one day. We're talking about life here and now on earth. Jesus' parables give us a picture of what happens in the kingdom, of what happens in the church age here and now. And uh, that's what the the parables are all about. And so um, uh, interesting to study and interesting to look at. Uh, Last week we looked at something Uh, We, uh, just as a way of review, the disciples, they came and asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Great question. Parables are stories that we can understand. They're earthly stories with divine meaning. They're earthly stories that we can grasp and understand that point us to something bigger than the earthly story itself. Uh... And uh, they came and they said, hey, Jesus, why are you speaking in parables? Here in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives eight parables back to back. And they come and they say, hey, what's up with that? And Jesus revealed an important uh, reason. He says, I speak in parables to reveal and to conceal divine truth. We looked at that last week. Specifically, he said, Uh, I just drew a blank on exactly how he said it. I speak in parables because for you, it's been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. For them, to them, it has not been given. For to whoever has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. And him who does not have, even what he has, will be taken away. All that to say, Jesus is saying, I speak in parables to reveal divine truth to believers and to conceal divine truth from those who are not believers. So we have to bring our head to the table. Today we're going to look at some deep truths about the kingdom of God. And the parables are going to surprise you. They're not what you think. There's deep profound meaning. But you're going to have to bring your head to the table. Uh, Otherwise it's going to go and it'll be concealed, right? And uh, so... uh, Again, just great, great insight. And again, Jesus' parables give us a picture. They reveal what life is like in the church age. We're not talking about someday when we go to heaven. We're not talking about uh, for pastors only. We're talking about life in God's kingdom. Life in the church age. The church age, what does that mean? It means from the time that Jesus went to the cross and took our sins upon his own back and resurrected in a glorified body three days later and then ascended up into heaven from that time until his second coming 
when he comes in power and glory and majesty from that time is the church age. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is the kingdom age. And he's telling us what life is like during this time right now, the church age. So uh, let's jump in. Let's get into the story. You'll remember last week we looked at the parable of the four soils. Do you remember that? And we saw in the parable of the four soils that this truth was happening uh, in that parable. God was at work and what else? Evil was at work. God was doing something good and evil was at work. Hey, John and Mary, good to see you. Uh, uh, awesome that you're here. Uh, but anyway, God was at work. And evil was at work, right? At the same time. Today, in all the parables we look at, we're going to look at three parables today, Lord willing. In each of the parables, you're going to notice this. God is at work, and evil is also at work. And that's what life is like in this kingdom age, in this church age that we're in. So, um... Uh, let's go. We're going to look in a, a big portion of Scripture, and we're going to be looking at the parable of the tares among the wheat. And we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 13, <clears throat> verse 24. If you're there, give me a big amen. Are we there? You got your fingers in? You ready to follow along your Bibles? Let's do that. <clears throat> Another parable he put forth to them, saying, he had just told the parable of the kingdom of the, uh, excuse me, the parable of the, the four soils, and now the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sows good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Here another agrarian parable, another farming parable. And here he says, this time there's a field and there's a man who sows good seed, wheat, and while... Everyone is sleeping. An enemy comes in and sows tares. What are tares? We don't use that term. They're weeds. But specifically, it's a darnel weed. It grows and it looks just like wheat. You can't tell. It looks just like wheat as it's growing. I get uh, weeds in my grass. I'm always battling that, right? And a lot of times when they first come up, I go, oh yeah, grass is looking good. It's green. And, and then it grows a little taller. And you realize, oh no, that's not good. That's weeds there. And uh, Jesus is giving a parable much like that. Verse 27. So the servants of the owner of the field came to him and said, Sir... Did you not sow good seed in your field? Yes, yes I did. How then does it have tares? And he said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? Do you want us to go pull the tares? Do you want us to go pull the weeds? And he said to them, No, lest while you gather up the tares you also uproot the wheat with them. I want you to underline verse 29. That's a significant part of the parable that we need to know, we need to understand, and we're going to come back and spend some time camping out there. No, I don't want you to pull up the weeds. If you do, you're going to damage the wheat. Verse 30. Let both grow together until the harvest. Verse 29 
That's a significant part of the parable that we need to know, we need to understand, and we're going to come back and spend some time camping out there. No, I don't want you to pull up the weeds. If you do, you're going to damage the wheat. Verse 30. Let both grow together ends for the stuff that is growing in the kingdom. Two very different ends. I tell you as believers, those of us that have made Jesus our Lord and Savior, if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, it would be very wise of us to take inventory on the fruit in our life. What kind of fruit is in your life? Because here we see at the end of the road, there are some who are in the field that have no fruit. They are not wheat. They're actually a weed. It's important that we look. Do you have fruit in your life? You say, well, what is fruit? Well, the Bible is really clear. It's Galatians chapter 5, right? The fruit of the Spirit. What is it? It's love. It's love, joy, peace, gentleness, self-control, patience, long-suffering, perseverance, right? These are the fruits of the Spirit. And if we are walking in fellowship with Jesus Christ, these fruits will naturally be in our life. And it would be wise for us to look and to make sure they are. Galatians 5 also tells us not only the fruits of the Spirit, but the works of the flesh, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, selfishness, anger, outburst of wrath, lawlessness, right? And these are the, the works of the flesh. And it's important for us as Christians to take inventory and see, does the, is Jesus really Lord of my life? Because if he's Lord of my life, these fruits will be in my life. And here he says at the end of the age, uh, uh, you know, there's a very difference, uh, a great difference. He says, uh, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my, to my barn. Verse 31. Uh, we're going to stop there on that parable. I'm not going to give any more commentary on it now because Jesus is going to give commentary on it in just a minute. And his commentary is better than mine. So we'll, uh, I'll, I'll hold off, I'll refrain until we read his commentary. Then verse 31, uh, he now tells us another parable. So we're going to look at a new parable now. It's really short. Let's look at it together. And he puts forth another parable to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. Yeah, mustard seed is just so incredibly tiny, like on the size of a pinhead. But when it is grown, it is greater than the, the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Crazy parable. What does it mean? We'll look at it in just a minute. Verse 33. Another parable he spoke to them. This one, just one verse. Look at this parable. The kingdom of heaven or the church age. The age we're living in right now. It's like this. It's like leaven which a woman hid, excuse me, which woman took and hid in three measures of meal until it was all leavened. What in the heck does that mean? And what are three measures of meal? A measure of meal, by the way, was enough to feed 30 people. So it was a good size uh, 
portion of, of, of grain. And three measures of meal would be enough to, to feed 90 people. And he says it's like a woman who takes leaven and hides it in enough meal for, you know, a lot of meal until the whole thing was leavened. And so what does it mean? What are these things talking about? Uh, let's first look at the parable of the mustard seed and see if we can understand it. Then we'll look at the parable of the leaven and then we'll go back to the parable of the tares and the wheat and get Jesus' explanation. So the parable of the mustard seed, what does it mean? Well, some see this, uh, and some commentators, some Bible teachers, they see this as the beginnings of Christianity. Christianity started out so small, just like a mustard seed, really tiny. And then it grew into something big. It grew into a tree. And the birds came and uh, took rest in its branches. And that's a picture of people coming and taking refuge in Christendom and in the, and in the, the kingdom and and maybe, I mean, if you want to hold that position, there's a lot of scholars who do. You'd be in good company. That might be a good interpretation. But there's some problems with it. And here's the problems. There's a theological term that's called expositional consistency. Everybody say that for me. Expositional consistency. What does that mean? It means that as you unpack the teachings of the Bible, there has to be consistency in your doing it. You can't just make something uh, allegorical for whatever you want it to be. It actually means something. And in this case, uh, if the, the birds and the branches and the mustard seed and all that... Uh, we're breaking some expositional consistency because if it's just the kingdom of heaven expanding, well, in this parable then, there's no good working and there's no evil working. It's all just good. And that's not consistent with the other parables we've just been looking at. Furthermore, in the parable he just taught us, the birds represented what? The wicked one. You remember in the other parable, the seed was the word of God and the birds were the wicked one that comes and snatches up the seed before it has time to grow. The sower was Jesus. He was planting seed. The seed was the word of God. It's a good work, but there's an enemy working at the same time. The birds, evil, the wicked one, snatching up the seed. Now in this parable, the birds are good? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's inconsistent. So what does it mean? Well... We know that a mustard seed does not grow into a tree, does it? What do mustard seeds grow into? A bush. Yeah, just a bush. Kind of a ratty looking bush, to be honest. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, the church age, is like a mustard seed, but instead of growing into a bush, it grew into a tree. And birds evil came and nested in its branches? What does that mean? Well, I believe this parable of the mustard seed is a picture that Jesus is giving us of the aberrant growth of the religious system in the world. The aberrant growth of the religious system. Jesus is saying that the religious system in the kingdom, in the church age, will grow into something that it was never intended to be. What was that? A, 
It was never intended to be a powerful system of hierarchy and government and control and dominion. Oh, it was never meant to be that. You'll remember in Jesus' day, he had the same problem. Jesus came, and who was his biggest problem? Who was, who, who was his biggest problem with? The religious leaders. The biggest problem Jesus had was not the prostitutes, was not the sinners, was not the alcoholics, was not the wine-bibbers, was not the immoral people. No, no, no. That wasn't his biggest problem. His biggest problem was the religious leaders. The religious system in Israel had grown into something that it was never intended to be and it actually misrepresented God. Jesus actually hated it and the birds were nesting in the branches. They were evil workers. They were called scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and they were the ones Jesus had the biggest problem with. He would say things like, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel land and sea to win a single proselyte. And once you convert him, you make him twice the son of hell as you. What's that? Yeah, evil had gotten in the branches. And the same thing happened to the church age. The church started small, without a religious system. Just 12 guys, 11 guys. Then the Apostle Paul, 12 guys, and it changed the whole world. But what happened in the time of Constantine is that government and church married. Pergamos in the Bible. Mixed marriage. And the church became a position of power, of wealth, and of influence. Something it was never intended to be. And you know what happened? The birds began to lodge in the branches of the church. The church didn't stay a mustard bush. It turned into a tree and the birds came and lived in the branches. Do you know what happened? How many of you have ever heard of simony? Do you know what simony is? Not many of you. Here's what simony is. Simony is a sad thing that happened in history. It was the selling of a religious office for money. Pope Leo X actually bought his position as Pope. Cardinals actually paid money for their position of cardinalship. And it elevated them into fame and into power and into governance and into authority. And they didn't enter into the position because they had a calling of God upon their life like David did, David and Amelia. No, no, no. They entered into a position for wealth and power and governance. And the birds crept in to the branches. Evil had entered in. And it's a tragic thing. People entering, in a, entering into ministry, not because they love God, but because they love revenue and power and wealth. If you would like to study more on this, you can read Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. The church in Thyatira. You can go back and listen to that specific message online. I went into depth about the corruption that came into church, into the church. And that's what the church in Thyatira in the book of Revelation describes. It, I, we, we went into it in depth. You might want to go online and listen if you're so interested. But it is just an ugly part of church history. 
And Jesus prophesied here in this parable that was going to happen. Be careful. Even today, by the way, there are birds in the branches. And we need to be careful when we turn on the TV and we see late night TV evangelists. I tell you, they are birds in the branches, so-called, representing themselves as godly men, but they're not. I've been a pastor for a long time. I've known, I've seen, I've talked to a lot of pastors, phenomenal pastors, and not so phenomenal pastors in my journey. And here's what I know. The pulpit attracts, the the pulpit draws narcissistic men to it. I want to be up front. I want to give the message. I want people to like me. I want to hear, oh, that was brilliant, amazing, how you're so smart. Oh, it appeals to the flesh. I want to have control. Beware of birds in the branches. How do you know if it's a good church? How do you know if it's a good pastor? Well, it's not real hard. Is the pastor there to eat the sheep or feed the sheep? A pastor who wants money from the sheep all the time and is trying to get people to do what he wants to do, that's a pastor who's feeding himself. He's devouring sheep. You can tell a good pastor from a bad pastor by what he eats. A good pastor, Jesus said, lays down his life for the sheep. He prays for the sheep. He cares for the sheep. He labors in the Word to teach the sheep and to feed them a really good meal every Sunday, every weeknight, every Bible study, always laboring. I was so blessed at Mason. Mason, stand up for me, brother. I was so proud of you. Uh, We've been discipling this young man for a long time. I heard his teaching on Wednesday night, and you know what I said? That's a good shepherd. That's a good man. That's the kind of leaders I want in this church. And you can tell, hey, if they're not teaching the word, if they're giving you fluff, if they're all about their radio show and their TV show and you need to give so we can do this, and hey, here's what I know, there might be birds in the branches. Be wise. Be wise. And Jesus gave a very specific parable. May we have open eyes and understand this is a reality. The next parable is even more crazy. He says the next parable is the parable of leaven. What is that? Leaven hidden in meal? Emphasize the word hidden? What is that? The kingdom of heaven is like a woman who hid leaven in three measures of meal until the whole entire thing was leavened. What does that mean? Once again, you have some Bible teachers who are going to tell you commentaries. By the way, commentaries are not the inspired Word of God. The footnotes on the bottom of your Bible, not the inspired Word of God, right? The Word of God is the inspired Word of God. So you have to use discernment with what we read. Some commentaries will tell you that this leaven represents the kingdom of God permeating into the whole world until the whole world hears about God. The whole world gets saved. And then Jesus comes back and He finds the whole world saved and He comes and sets up His kingdom. Sounds lovely. Sounds wonderful. Problem? Bunch of problems. You want to know what they are? 
Number one, expositional consistency. It's inconsistent. In that parable, once again, there's no good and evil working, just good working. It all turns out good. We all live happily ever after. doesn't match the other parables. More importantly, leaven in the Bible, over and over and over again, every use of leaven in the Bible is a picture of what? Sin. And in this parable, there's good work that's happening and there's bad work that's happening. Here's what it's saying. Uh, leaven is entering in to the whole dough. Leaven is always a picture of sin in the Bible. Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the religious leaders, the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees, which was hypocrisy, he said. For they love the praise of men. They love to be called, oh, pastor, when they go and order their fish tacos. This meal's on us, pastor. You sit here. They love the praise of men. They love to be called rabbi. They, he says, beware of the leaven of the religious leaders. Self-righteousness. Arrogance. Better than everybody else. Judgmental. He says, beware of that leaven. Leaven was bad, right? Leaven was bad. Um, uh, same thing was true for the Apostle Paul. Uh, writing to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul talking to the church there. And the church, they thought they were so spiritual. They really were magnifying their spiritual gifts and trying to be all showy in their spiritual gifts. And it was all about them when they had spiritual gifts. And they were so liberal and so in full of themselves that they allowed sexual immorality, <clears throat> immorality to enter into the church. Radical sexual immorality. And they were saying, well, we're spiritual and we believe in the grace of God and, and the grace of God will cover it. We're not saved by works. We're saved by grace. And they got they're just very puffed up. And Paul comes to them and says, do you not know that a little leaven, what, leavens the entire lump? Very similar to the parable. What's he telling them? You need to cast out this in sexual immorality in the church or it's going to permeate the whole church. I'm so thankful for guys like David and Amelia who are doing it right so that they, as they teach your kids, they're seeing, wow, there's a couple who aren't just saying the words. Jesus is actually Lord of their life. You mean you guys haven't kissed and you're going to get married? Yes, I will kiss her when she becomes my wife. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Look what God is bringing into the mission church. That's his work, right? That's his work. I love it. And Paul would say to the church in Corinth, purge out the leaven. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out the leaven that you might be an unleavened church. Presenting yourselves before God. Walking in his ways without just wantedly practicing sin in your life. Don't be like that. Am I, I just realized, am I getting too exaggerated here? Uh, parable of leaven. Leaven always represents sin. And here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, it parallels the previous par parable. The birds and the branches. Here's what he's saying. There's a woman who hid sin into the religious system until the whole thing became sinful. You know what the Bible teaches? The Bible does not teach that the world's going to get better and better and better. Do you know what the Bible teaches? 
the world's going to get more and more corrupt until the whole thing is leavened. Jesus was teaching on prayer, the persistent widow, and at the end of the parable he says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man returns, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he find anybody in persistent prayer? And the implied answer is, no, the world's going to grow incredibly corrupt, right? Do you know what's going to happen? Uh, uh, leaven has entered into the system. And today, it is a very rare thing to find this many Christians gathered together, sitting through a sermon this long with Bibles open, pens in their hands, and a church actually teaching the Word of God. You know why? Because leaven has crept into the church. And we like better just a little short encouraging sermonette for 15 minutes that will send you out and tell you how wonderful you are so you don't have to think about your sin. You don't have to repent. You don't have to make Jesus Lord. You can just feel good. And you know what's going to happen? You're a weed growing in the garden. And in the end, you're going to find out you're not a wheat at all. And you didn't know it until the time of harvest. And then it's too late. Parable of leaven. Very interesting very interesting. Leaven, by the way, what a perfect illustration of sin. Do you know what leaven or do you know what yeast is? Do you know what it is? It's a fungus. It's a fungus. Yeast is a fungus. Leaven is a fungus. And it causes fermentation. It causes rotting and putrefying decay of the dough. And when it decays, it gives off a gas. And when that gas comes in, it puffs up and uh, you know, makes it rise and swell up. That's exactly what sin does in your life. Puffs you up, makes you think you're amazing, but you're just full of, hot, you're just full of gas, man. No pun intended. Fortunately, when you throw it in the oven, the fungus, the yeast, dies at 140 degrees and you get good bread. That's a good thing. But every parable breaks down somewhere, right? Uh, but here's what Jesus is saying. Hey, false teachings have entered into the church and it will do so, entered into the kingdom, and it will do so until the whole thing is leavened. Do you realize that today there's 2.4 billion Muslims on the world? Leaven has entered into the dough. There's only 2.9 billion Christians on the earth, 2.4 billion Muslims. Do you know in the church today, false teachings have entered into the church? False teachings of prosperity gospel and give more money so you can get more money. And it's okay that you love money. Just give me yours. Uh, yeah, that's entered into the church. Meditation and yoga and spirituality and self-enlightenment and all this kind of stuff. And hey, if you like to stretch, don't, hey, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not against that. I'm, it's not, but it's not a doctrine. And it's entered into the church. And here's what Jesus said. It's entered in so much, it'll enter in so much that the entire, a woman hid the false teaching in the church until the entire thing is leavened. Do you know what's going to happen? At the end of the age, the church is going to be raptured. The Antichrist is going to come onto the scene. And you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, hey, all you religions in the earth, all you Buddhists, you Hindus, you Muslims, you Christians, you whatever, you're all worshiping the same God. Just come and it's all one religion. Revelation 17 makes it very clear. It's, it's pictured this way. Amazing parable. The harlot that rides the beast. The beast is the Antichrist. A harlot will sleep with anybody. She embraces all the religions of the world. And the, the Antichrist 
uses that, carries the harlot on his back to bring himself into power and into fame with, with the whole world. And the whole world's going to see him and go, oh, we knew it all along. We just knew it all along. We knew we worshipped all the same gods and kumbaya. And it ends in total destruction. The whole thing leavened. So I wish we had more time to go into that. Tune in on Tuesday nights through the book of Revelation. We're going to get there in a couple of weeks on chapter 17. But let's move on. Uh, the parable of the mustard seed. The parable of leaven. And now we're going to get back to the parable of the tares and the wheat. Are you guys tracking with me? Is this interesting? Is this too much for a Sunday? Are you like, dude, I came for donuts and coffee, man. This is too much, right? Um, verse 34. All these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables. And without a parable, he did not speak to them. That it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables, and I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Do you realize what Matthew was doing right there? He's saying, Christian, pay attention. There's always a biblical basis for everything God does. And Jesus speaking in parables was prophesied, was foretold in the Old Testament that when the Messiah comes, he will speak in parables and you're looking at him. This is what he's doing. He's giving him a biblical basis for what Jesus is doing. Verse 36, then Jesus went out and sent, excuse me, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, gets away from the crowds. And his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. Interesting. The parable they really want to know about, the one I really want you to tell me about, is this parable of the tares. And notice they didn't call it the parables of the wheat. What did they call it? The parable of what? Tares. Their interest was specifically on the evil. Maybe you've wondered, God, why do you allow evil in the world? Why is there evil in the world? They say, hey, tell us about the parable of the tares. We want to know about that. Verse 37, and he answered and said to him, said to them, he who sows good seed is the son of man, the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus sowing good seed, just like the other parable. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Take note of that. The wheat are believers. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. What's that? Yeah, the weeds, the tares, the darnel that looks like a, a wheat. You can't tell it apart until, until hard harvest it's a picture of unbelievers those who won't make Jesus the Lord of their life verse 39 the enemy who sowed them is the devil the harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are the angels therefore as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man, that's Jesus, the Messiah, will send out His angels, and look at this, they will gather out of His kingdom 
All things that offend. I want you to underline that. All things that offend. What is that? That's bars. That's strip clubs. That's pornography websites. That's pastors who are birds in the, and aren't really pastors. They're just doing it for... That's Hollywood making movies that are very much against God. That's people in high places and high power that are, that are doing evil and wicked things. He gathers all things that offend and, underline this, and those who practice lawlessness. What's that? That's those who go to bars. That's those who go to strip clubs. That's those who, sin, you know, just practice, practice sin. And look what he says, 42. And he will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Wailing. Oh! And gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Wow. Righteous will shine like the sun. And then he says this, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We learned last week, that means he who is able to understand, really ponder and meditate on these truths. Wow. Wow. The disciples again, no doubt wondering why Jesus would allow the, the weeds to stay with the wheat. Why would God allow evil to coexist with good? And we often wonder that, don't we? God, why, if you're good, why do you allow evil in the world? Great question. Great question. God, if you're good, why do things like 9-11 happen? Where 3,000 people were killed because extreme Islamic terrorists stole our planes and crashed them into a building. I read an article yesterday that said, uh, not only did 3,000 die at 9-11, but now that many people have died from illnesses related to the buildings crumbling and all the toxins and everything from 9-11. First responders and all that kind of stuff. 6,000 people. God, why would you allow evil? Why? Why is there racism? Why is there rioting? Why is there looting? Why is there lawlessness? Why, why do you allow God, if you're good, if you're all powerful, why do you allow evil people to misuse their power? And Lord, why is it getting worse? Lord, why don't you stop it? Good questions. And that's why the disciples said, hey, Jesus, we want to know about this parable. Why is there evil and good living together? And skeptics and atheists often really hone in on this point. They don't like this about God. They say things like this. If God allows evil and suffering to continue, he might be good, but he's not all-powerful. Right? If he allows evil and suffering... He might be good, but he's not all-powerful. If God allows suffering to continue, he might be all-powerful, but then he's not good. Either way, he can't be all-powerful and all-good and allow evil and suffering to exist, right? And it's a pretty formidable argument. God, why? Why? 
We're not going to go into that into the full depth it deserves. We don't have time. If you would like to go into that full depth, I would encourage you, get the book by Tim Keller titled um, The Reason for God. One of the best reads I've ever had on that subject, by the way, The Reason for God. But let's see if we can kind of tackle it at a 40,000 foot level. Here in verse 29, Jesus says, removing the evil people or eliminating the weeds, the tares, would somehow harm the wheat, the believers. And you say, well, how could that be? I don't understand. We may not understand the wisdom in that, but Jesus says it's the very reason that God allows both evil and good to continue at the same time. It's for the benefit of believers. Interesting. Interesting. How does that work? What does that mean? You say, I don't understand. Well, we are much like a child who can't understand why dad won't let us have ice cream before we do our chores and before we eat our broccoli. Dad, I don't understand. You're not nice. And you don't like me. If you were nice and you liked me, you wouldn't make me do my chores and eat my broccoli before I had my ice cream. It just doesn't make sense, right? I don't get it. Dad is either mean or he's uncaring, but he cannot be nice and caring. It just doesn't fit that small child's mindset, right? But we know as parents, nothing could be further from the truth. And in a similar way, what if, what if God was doing something in us and something for us and something through us that is so much bigger than we can understand right now, that is so much greater than our finite childlike minds can grasp. And I would say to you, this parable and other teachings in the Bible say that he is. Romans 9, Paul makes a very clear argument that's incredibly profound and powerful. You might want to study it on your own. I'll try to skim over it quickly to give you the just. Uh, Romans 9, the question is this. Why does God made wicked people and good people? Why are some, uh, if, he know, if all are predestined and he knows those who are going to know him, why does he make the ones who don't? Why are there good people and why are there, why, there's no such thing as good people. Why are some saved and why are some evil? And Paul says this in Romans 9. What if God endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fit for destruction so that he might show his grace and his mercy to the vessels of honor who were prepared beforehand to receive his glory, to understand his praise, his love, his majesty, his splendor. What's that? One more time. What if God endured with tremendous long-suffering? In other words, it really breaks his heart when he sees all the evil and it's hard on him and there's, it's grievous. And what if God endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath? the tares, that he might show his grace and his mercy, his long-suffering, long his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his love on the vessels of mercy, the wheat, 
which was prepared beforehand for his glory. Wow. What's that? What is it saying? Well, what it's saying is somehow weeds and wheat growing together will allow a Christian, a believer, to have greater reverence and greater appreciation, a greater understanding of God's love, of God's mercy, of God's glory, of God's grace through Jesus Christ, not only in this life, but also in the ages to come. Have you ever wondered why God places so much value on you? Do you know how you are unique in all of God's creation? Only humans can be in a sinful fallen state and still be in relationship with God. An angel, when they fall, when they leave their, their, uh, the state, when they sin, they're separated eternally. No more chance of redemption for them. But you are something different. You have the gospel. You have this picture of evil and good working together to create something even more magnificent in God's eyes. Something that can really truly grasp and understand the depth of who God is and his love for you. So much so that the Bible says that even angels desire to look into and understand this great plan of redemption. Because it does something for you that gives you even a greater intimacy with God than they have ultimately. Because the Bible says you are going to judge angels. Right? You're going to be above angels. Man was made for a little while lower than the angels, but God has crowned him with glory and honor. He's going to rule over the angels, the psalm tells us, right? Amazing, just amazing truth. So, uh, amazing. Uh, God allows both to grow together that we might have a greater understanding and appreciation of his love, not, not necessarily in this life, but in the ages to come and throughout eternity. Let me give you an example of how that worked in the disciples' lives. The disciples got to spend three years face-to-face with God. Three years face-to-face with Jesus, the Messiah. They heard Him teach. They heard Him speak. They saw Him look at them. And they just were, they, oh, I've never been loved like this. No one's ever understood me. He knows me better than I know myself. He speaks truth into my life. It's a light into my path. It shows me which way to go. It's amazing. And then Jesus has the audacity to come and tell them, I'm going to die on a cross. And I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I do. And they said, no way. No way. It's not to your advantage that you die. As a matter of fact, Peter says, I'll never let it happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And Jesus then takes the disciples into an upper room on the night before he's arrested to be crucified. And he girds himself like a waiter. And he gets down on a knee and he washes their feet. And he says, what I'm doing now, you, don't under- you won't understand. You can't understand. It's bigger than you. But you will understand it not many days from here. And he washes their feet. And he has the last supper with him. We're going to take communion together in a bit. And we're going to celebrate the same thing. And then Jesus dies on the cross. And he resurrects in his glorified body. And they didn't understand why would Jesus ever die on a cross. But once he resurrected and he showed himself to them. You know what they knew? Oh my gosh. We know him now better than we ever knew him before. 
we were walking and talking with God. And they understood His love for them like they never understood before. And it was deeper and more meaningful. And all that came through evil and good existing all at the same time. Jesus says, it's to your advantage. Don't pull up the, the weeds. Don't pull up the evil lest it will uproot the, the, the wheat. Let both grow together and harvest. And then I'm going to sort everything out. And you'll know what will happen. This end of the age will come. The day is coming when Jesus will return. He'll return in glory to judge and to remove evil and bring forth a glorious kingdom with no evil on the earth. Uh, look at verse 40. Let's look what he says about it. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be when? At the end of this age. The Son of Man, Jesus, will send out His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and look at this, and will cast them into the furnace of fire and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Hell is real. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Amazing. Salvation is real. He who has an ear, let him hear. Jesus reminds us that hell is real and salvation is real. Can I remind you of something, church? Eyes up here, please. Eyes up here. Give me your attention. You are going to live forever. Sandlot. Forever. You're going to live forever. Ever. Everyone is. Some people say, I don't like this idea of a God who would send somebody to hell. Hell is just allegorical. It's symbolic. It means, you know, if you're not a good boy, life's hard. I'm sorry. Not what it means, right? Here's the thing. I don't like a God who creates a hell. I mean, why would God have anyone go to hell forever? Can I just say something for a moment? Who the heck are you with your finite understanding? Job, uh, God spoke to Job and he said, Who are you to deny my providence by your ignorance? Do you know how the world was made? Didn't think so. Do you know how the universe was formed? Didn't think so. Hey, I understand it seems weird that someone would spend forever in hell. But here's what God made. Do you know what you are? You are an eternal creature. You're going to live forever. And the reason you're going to live forever is because that's how God made you. And here's the deal. You can either live forever with God or apart from Him. Hell is being apart from Him. It would be a cruel God who said, you have to worship me forever. And so he gives you a choice. You can worship me or you can be separated from me. We don't like to think about hell, but it's real. Jesus spoke more about hell than heaven. He described it more vividly than he described heaven. Jesus frequently spoke on the subject of hell. Do you know why? 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 Because he doesn't want you to go there. Hey, as a parent, if you know the horrific reality of drugs. You teach your kids about it. Why? Because you want them to take drugs? No, because you don't want them to go there. Jesus knew about the reality of, of hell and he spoke on it often. Here he calls hell a furnace of fire where there will be wailing. There will be consciousness. You're going to be like, oh, just groaning from within. You're going to be gnashing your teeth. 
in Luke 16, he spoke of hell as a place of torment, eternal torment. In Matthew 25, he spoke of hell as a place of outer darkness. Outer darkness, where there's no light, where there's just nothing but emptiness and void, no substance, you just can't, hurting emptiness, loneliness, outer darkness. In Mark 9, he talked about hell as being a place of unquenchable fire where the worm does not die. There's no denying that Jesus spoke frequently about the absolute reality of hell. And it's so important that we understand and we take it to heart. Contrary to popular opinion, hell is not a place where God sends bad people. Hell is our default destination. That sounds harsh. That's just the reality. We are sinners. We are selfish to the core. We've been born of the sin nature. And our default destination, we were born separated from God, and we will die separated from God, and we will go throughout eternity separated from God. We need a Savior. We need a Redeemer. And Jesus spoke crystal clear about the reality of hell and its torment. He also spoke crystal clear about how to be saved from hell. Anyone who comes to me, I will in no way cast out. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you salvation. John 14, on your screens, Jesus spoke very clearly about it. Look, read what, he, read what he says. Let me hear you out loud. Thundering voice. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I'm going to ask the men to prepare the elements. Uh, we'll have the worship team come up and we'll pass them out in just a moment. But I want you to see this, right? Uh, Some of us here, before we take communion, we need to make a decision about Jesus Christ. You see, here's what I know. In a group of this many people, there's some tares among the wheat. There's some, you're dressed like a Christian, you look like a Christian, and I can't tell you apart from a Christian, but you're not a Christian. You are the Lord of your life. Jesus is not the Lord of your life, and a decision has to be made. We can stay in our sinful total depravity and we can be eternally separated from God or we can submit to Jesus and accept his gift of redemption, his gift of salvation. Salvation, righteousness, and heaven are God's gift through Jesus Christ. It's not by human merit. It's not by trying to be good. It's all a gift that he gives you. You can't earn your way into the kingdom of heaven. You have to be born into it. You have to be born again into it. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter. He cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 43 one more time. Those who are born again, look what happens to them. The righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. What's that mean? You're going to get a glorified body. This corruption must put on incorruption, Paul said. This mortality must put on immortality. You're going to get a glorified body. And when Jesus comes back, you're going to come back with him. And how bright are you going to be? How shiny, how much glory is going to be radiating from your body? You're going to be in the presence of Jesus, radiating his glory. Let me ask you, can any of you do that on your own? 
Can any of you get that kind of glory, that kind of body, that kind of righteousness? None of us can. It can only be given to you by the Creator. And He gives it willingly and freely to all who call, call upon Him. You might be a prostitute. You might be a pimp. You might be a drug dealer. You might be a thief on the cross. Makes no difference. There's none righteous. No, not one. All of us need salvation. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. If you're a tear, if you haven't made Jesus your Lord, if you're the Lord of your own life, you call the shots. Oh, I pray that you would hear the parable of the tares and the wheat. Yeah, you're growing right right alongside everybody right now and everything's fine, but the day's coming when you're going to be gathered, you're going to be called, you're going to be gathered with your own and you're going to be burned in the fire. And the wheat's going to be gathered into his barn and he's going to go to heaven to be with the Lord forever. If you need to make Jesus your Lord and your Savior, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to him right now. This is between you and the Lord. Just say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I am the Lord of my life. I've been sinning. I've been calling my own shots. I don't walk in your ways. Lord, I ask that you would forgive me. Please forgive me. Pray this prayer along with me. Jesus, I thank you that you promised that all who come to you, you would no way cast out. That you give eternal life to all who come to you. Lord, I ask right now that you would be my Savior that you would save me from my sin. I know I don't deserve it. I know I'm not worthy. I'm not coming to you on my merit. I'm coming to you on your merit. I believe that you were God in the flesh who died on the cross to take the punishment of my sin. Jesus, I'm asking for the gift of salvation. Will you give it to me? Just pray that to the Lord. If that's your heart, if that's your desire, I want you just to respond to the Lord. Raise your hand to the Lord right now. Raise your hand to the Lord and say, Jesus, save me. God bless you. God bless you in the back. You do not have because you do not ask. Don't let your pride keep you from receiving what Jesus wants to give you. God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? To be undecided is to be decided. It's saying, I'm still going to be Lord. Jesus, you're not my authority. I'm not going to ask you to be my Savior. Anybody else? Lord, we thank you for these who have raising their hands. And Lord, may this be their first communion as they partake and they remember what you did for us on the cross. And Lord, for all of us right now, uh, we do what you commanded us to do. We do this in remembrance of you. We thank you, Jesus, for your great love for us. That you're so sovereign. That even in this world where evil is working, you're working even more powerfully and you're sovereign over it all. And you can bring and work all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purposes. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross in our place. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. And Lord, we praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.